What's up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined once again by Coach Andrea for another Q&A. Andrea, how has your week been going? Anything new to fill us in on? Mike has been really good. Um, not a whole lot new. Food went up again this week, and that's been going well. Um, training has been feeling really good. He did mention, my coach did mention that we're in a good place and my body's handling the food really well. And we can probably start thinking about doing a cut before summer or even getting ready for a photo shoot, mm-hmm. which was exciting. Um, I, as much as I am tempted to hop on the idea of doing another photo shoot, I don't think that I'll do it just yet. I think I would rather do a bit of a cut leading into summer and then um, work on building. I want to build like my rhomboids and hamstrings to actually see a somewhat significant difference between the last time I did one and this time. Cause I feel like if I did it this time, like all of the, everything that I've done between last photo shoot and now has just been basically maintaining physique wise and improving the health side of things. So there right. hasn't been a significant change there. So as much as I want to hop on that, <laughs> I don't think I will just yet. I agree. And I think too, like something like a photo shoot when you're pushing to get shredded, at least personally, and I think this holds true for most clients, like that's not something that you want to do more than like every two to three years, I feel like. Like, I don't know how people like compete every, well, I get it, but at the same time, like it's not a fun process to go through. And as you said, probably like you would do all that to essentially get the same result that you got before, right? Now it would would be cool to like see from a dieting perspective, like could you do that on more calories? Is it less of a grind? Which it sounds like you guys have rectified a lot of that, which is super cool. But I, I, I can completely appreciate that. Yeah. And, and different coach, it would be interesting to do it just for that aspect alone, just to see how a different coach does it any differently. I think that, you know, Sue is amazing and I wouldn't have changed anything about that process. I learned a ton, but everybody, like there's many roads to the same thing. So he would do things differently just because he's a different coach. And that would be interesting from a learning perspective, but not, not enough. So that I'm going to hop on that just yet. So rhomboids and hamstrings are their priorities for building. I think so. Yeah. uh, Hamstrings was something that I had talked with Sue about. She kind of picked that out, helped me um, see that as a weak point, which I already like that. That's pretty clear. My hamstrings aren't a strong point for me. Um, rhomboids. I don't know. I would like to, to ask Austin about that and see if he agrees just because he coaches people to stage, like he would have a better eye for something like that. But to me, you know, maybe it's just from not being super lean, but I don't think my rhomboids are that great. Like any of yeah. my upper musculature, I think could use improving lats was something that Sue and I worked on a ton and those have improved a lot. I'm really happy with the difference there, but yeah hamstrings and back, I think are still weak points for me. Has he had you work on posing at all? No, that was actually one thing that was super helpful for me, um, or has been super helpful for me in my work with Brandon with like actually identifying like what's a weak point and what's just like, I don't actually just like know how to display this, so to speak, you know, like, um, actually for me for both like my entire back and quads that was extremely helpful right that's that might be something to like date i don't know i don't know how you go about learning posing i I mean it probably would just be worth it to ask him about like 
I don't know if you, I think that's at least like when it comes to it, that's something that I've started to do a lot more with clients as well as like sending over like flex shots um, and check-ins or flex shots post-training. Cause I think that gives a bit, a bit better feel for like how things are developing outside of just like looking at numbers in a logbook or like these, especially like for someone more advanced, like you are, of course, outside of just like where we're not going to see like, wow, you added so much to your hamstrings in the last like two to three months might be something to look into as well, but it's also kind of, <laughs> it's also kind of annoying to try to get it figured out. Yeah. I, I would love to get to the point where it's like, yeah, I don't even have to flex my hamstrings. Like you can just tell that, <laughs> that they're there, but yeah, I think for a while, probably knowing how to, to do that, to present that in a picture for him to be able to like be picky with my physique and tell me where I need to build. That'd be good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it sounds like you guys are pushing a little harder in training now. Is that right? No, not yet. No. It stayed the same. Okay. He's just kind of thinking ahead to moving on to different phases sometime soon. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, I'm glad to hear then. It sounds like, are you done with your gut protocols? Almost. I So I was actually supposed to move on to the last phase this weekend. I have, I have um, just like some extras of the the supplements that I'm using in this middle phase. So I thought, well, I might as well just keep that going until I finish those up. I already have the, um, all, all that is that I'm moving on to is just a probiotic. I already yeah. have that. So I'll just, I'll move on to it sometime soon here in the next week or two. Do you feel, I know you've mentioned like feeling less bloated. Do you feel quite a bit different physically after going through this? Uh, I think that the, the blow is the biggest thing. I, whenever I look at pictures, he's, he's said like, Hey, we're seeing less distension here. That's great. Sometimes I can see that sometimes I don't see a huge difference, but I definitely feel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm interested to see what the next couple months hold for you guys. And it'll be fun to see you pushing a little bit harder, but also it's cool to again, like see how well you practice what you reach short clients as well, where this has been a long process has been like eight months of just focusing on your health, but it'll be cool to see the payoff of that in the long term. Yeah. Cool. Anything else to add as far as your week? Uh, no, I'm this weekend. I am going to that, um, that is oh, what is oh, the John Gorman's thing. Yeah. John Gorman's thing with Cliff Wilson and, um, uh, Peter Fitchin and one other I cannot remember. So that'll, that'll be awesome. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. I'm, I, I didn't know you for sure going to that. So dope. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Um, yeah, from my week has been, I don't really feel like I have anything new to report. My week has basically just been the same. I think last we talked, Brandon and I were working through some blood work things. We put some things into place as far as stress management, but it's basically just been more of the same. So I don't have too much to report. So are you good to just go ahead and get into some questions from here? Yeah, let's do it. All right. First one that I'm going to kick over to you is, do you need to readjust macros during a reverse diet if you are losing weight? Yes. The whole process of a reverse diet is making adjustments to find your way back to maintenance. So that's pretty common at the very beginning of a reverse diet. So the, the way that I'll typically do this, and I know this is similar to what you do as well is uh, make a larger jump at the beginning. So we don't want to be um, anywhere near like overshooting calories. I'm a bit conservative with that just to get them up to like 80, 90% of where I think that they're 
um, maintenance calories will be. And that may mm -hmm. be like a new adjusted maintenance because if they've gone through a fat loss phase, they're probably lighter now than at the beginning of it. And so maintenance may be uh, a little bit lower than it was to start with. So rather than just jumping straight up, we'll make a little bit more of a conservative jump. And then from there, it's kind of like inching your way toward um, maintenance and finding it. But whenever you make that first jump, a lot of things can happen. You can see the, the scale weight go up because you're eating more food volume now, not that you're adding body fat, but you're, you're just adding scale weight because there's more food in your GI that comes along with more sodium and you're holding on to a little bit more water because of the carbohydrate and things like that. So you can see the scale jump up because of that. You could also see it decrease because of either still being in a, in a slight uh, deficit or adding food specifically through carbohydrate. If you have been, um, holding on to some stress, maybe from the diet or otherwise that helps reduce cortisol. So you can see a water weight flush from that. So that's another reason the scale might go down or you might just see it stay the same. So there's really anything that the scale could do and it's not wrong. Um, so once you see that, I'll usually hold that for a couple weeks just to be sure. Cause sometimes you just get a random low day and you don't know, like it could bounce low and then it could bounce higher than it had been previously. And you net pretty much the same weight or even a little higher. So I'll usually give that a couple weeks, see how the body responds. And then, um, yeah, if it does remain lower, um, then, then you'll make another adjustment up and you'll just kind of continue that process until you find maintenance where weight is stable and, depending on what you're looking for out of this, um, phase measurements are stable. And also hunger is lower. Training performance is good. Biofeedback is good. Yeah, absolutely. That's if you're in a reverse diet and you're still consistently losing, I wouldn't take too much stock in like, Hey, this week I saw a slight downward trend in weight, because as you said, like we could, it could just be, Hey, you were retaining a lot of water. Um, the carbohydrates helped drop a good amount of stress. And we, again, like saw you release some water and retention and some inflammation. Right. But if it's a consistent trend over time, like you're not in a reverse diet, you are in a less aggressive fat loss phase than you were previously. But again, the goal of the goal of a reverse diet is for us to get back to maintenance and focus on getting you out of that deficit because that is going to be something that is depending on how lean you are, right? Like for someone like there are some individuals that might be like, Hey, we need to lose 20, 30, 40 pounds to, just to get you back to healthy. Right. So in that case, like deficit is going to be a healthy thing. And no matter what, like periods of time in a deficit can be healthy, but like, especially when we're talking about like chronically dieting or dieting for a long period of time for already lean fit people. Like when we started the process, spending time in that deficit is as a whole going to be like a more quote unquote unhealthy thing, right? It's going to downregulate you hormonally, metabolically. So our goal is to, it's going to be harder to build muscle. Um, biofeedback is going to be in a worse place. So our goal is to get back to maintenance as soon as we can, so that we can kind of reduce those negative adaptations and get your body back in the healthiest place possible. So yeah, like if you're, if you're at the place where, Hey, I'm good with what I accomplished here. Um, and thus that's why I'm reverse dieting or because of like my biofeedback or other negatives I've seen, I need to get out of the, the deficit. I would definitely have more calories. Um, if you were losing anything else to add to that. No, I don't think so. Cool. What you got for questions. All right. First question here is how much weight will I gain? If I do a bulk one pound per week, I hate the thought of adding fat. Yeah, it's gonna, that's a, 
that's a good question. It's going to vary a lot. Um, so in general, what I would push someone for in a building phase, um, since we work with mostly women, let's keep it specific to women, right? It's going to be actually a male client that asked. Oh, damn. Okay. Well, and a, and a male client. Okay. never mind. Um, so in general, what I would say is we're going to push for about 0.25 to 0.5% of body weight per week, right? Where we do know, Hey, over time, if to optimize muscle growth, we don't want you in a deficit rate of muscle protein synthesis is going to be decreased. Muscle protein breakdown is going to be slightly increased. So we are going to want to be in a slight calorie surplus, eating slightly more calories than we burn in a day in order to optimize our ability to add more muscle. So generally I would push for something like 0.25 to 0.5% of body weight per week, right? So if you are a hundred and oh man, that's going to make it super hard. If you are, okay, let's go 200 pounds. If you're really and like the more and more experienced I get, the more I lean towards the less aggressive side of things. So typically, honestly, I'm typically looking at like for most men right around that 0.25% of body weight gain per week. And then we're at, but the other thing to understand here is you're not going to gain this linearly, right? Similar to fat loss, it's, it's oftentimes we'll see like a big drop downwards in the scale. Things stay stable for a week. Then we see another drop. Same thing goes for building where it's never just like, okay, I gained exactly a half pound this week. But again, if you were a 200 pound man, that would be, we're looking at about, that's going to be about a half pound per week, right? So if you look at that across the course of the month, that is about two pounds, right? Um, or for a female client, even if it's a little bit below that, I'm okay with it. Just as much as the rate of loss, I'm also looking at, hey, how's your biofeedback? How are our energy levels? How is our training performance? How's our ability to recover? And very importantly, is the logbook progressing well? Are you getting consistently good pumps and good disruption on the movements that we would expect, right? So typically we'll get a little bit better pumps on movements that are going to bias more of that shortened position or are harder in the contracted position when a little bit less disruption there. Generally, we'll get like a more sense of disruption in the tissue, but a little bit less pump in the movements that are hardest in the lengthened or stretch position. So that's a little bit more of like what I'm looking to there. If those things are progressing well, like I think of one of my clients, Kim, who she just went through a, um, she just went through what we've been building her from March until January. So what nine month building phase. And over the course of that, she actually only gained what six pounds. So like her rate of loss was, or her rate of gain was still even a little bit behind that. But like it was a glute specialization phase and it's very, very clear. She made a ton of progress there. Even if we look at like the measurements on her hips, like her, now she's someone that's like able to say exceptionally lean without health ramifications. So I don't want most people to think you like end a building phase with abs because that's not the case for most people. But for her, like at the end of her previous fat loss phase, she had abs at the end of this. It's, there's like hardly any change in her abs, but she's added what we measure in centimeters. She's added eight and a half centimeters to her glute measurements, right? Like we've seen very, very solid changes there. So we're also looking at again, like how our body measurements changing. Um, but in general, what I would say that's, but also like, I don't want to paint that picture and people to think that's like, a, that's probably a bad example to use because that's not typically how it goes for most people. How, how, how building phase goes for most people is you are going to have to expect to be a little bit fluffier than you want. If you have abs right now, you're probably gonna have to expect them to disappear, right? That's very much, I know how that's how it goes for me. I believe that's how building phases probably go for you as well. Um, and you are just gonna have to be okay with gaining some body fat. Right. And I think it's just a matter of like asking yourself because especially like as we get more advanced, um, 
continuing to make progress, especially continuing to build muscle, it is just going to require a building phase. If you're past like that first one to two years of training in a smart manner, having your nutrition dialed in, we're not going to be able to just continue to recomp, right? And most people who are hesitant to take on a building phase are already in that situation where it's like, okay, I've been trying to recomp for the last year, two years, and nothing has been happening, right? So to get a different outcome, we have to typically, we have to lean into discomfort that we haven't been willing to lean into before. Um, so I don't know. I think about 0.25% of body weight per week. So again, like a pound per week for most people, unless you are a 400 pound individual would be a little bit more aggressive than I would like to see, but understand also like, yeah, that is going to be some body fat, but on the flip side, it's important to understand that while muscle growth happens very slowly, fat loss happens very quickly, right? So again, like I use this example all the time. If you gain a pound of muscle per month as a like intermediate plus trainee, you are doing incredibly well. We can easily, especially if we're talking like a 100, oh, a 200 pound man, you can easily lose two, one to two pounds of body fat in a week. Right. Whereas again, like a realistic, uh, realistically, we're looking at like, Hey, you gain a half pound to a pound of muscle per week. That's or per month. That's incredible progress. But again, we can lose fat so much quicker. So let's say again, we're looking at you gaining two pounds, two pounds per month. And let's say that goes out. Let's say that's an eight month building phase. You gain 16 pounds, right? Let's say six of that is muscle and to kind of lowball there. Oh, that's probably actually pretty real, realistic. Six of that's muscle and 10 of that is fat. Okay. So then we're looking at, if you go through uh, an eight week fat loss phase, you can easily lose that 10 pounds of fat that you gained. And then you'll have an initial six pounds of muscle and your physique will be much improved. Right. Or as again, we can kind of keep doing what we've been doing. I'm not sure if this is actually the client's, the client's case or not. I'm just kind of making assumptions here, but if we're like trying to recomp on the flip side, we have the same physique that we wanted and I also, I don't know how experienced this individual is. You could probably speak to this better, but, um, if we're trying to like stay extremely lean and build muscle, and again, like this is more specific than more intermediate to advance versus like, do we truly need to enter a building phase in the first place? Or could you just make great progress at maintenance? But again, assuming that's not the case, if we don't embrace that, whereas there will be a period of discomfort, you'll have a much improved physique in a year versus if we just like try to recomp at or continue to build muscle at maintenance and you like we're past the point where that's realistic, then you'll basically be in the same place in a year. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I I agree with all of that. I I've um yeah I I am usually shooting for that lower end of the rate of gain as well. But um it really just depends on the person. And I'll just give like the same training caveat that I always do whenever we talk about building is that just make sure that you're training is on point that you're using a hypertrophy. Cause if you're looking for gaining muscle, you need to be in a specific training plan for that. So not, um, like mixing in cardio or letting the cardio or the core or the grip or time be the rate limiter, make sure that you're setting things up and using specific, um, exercises to where the rate limiter is the target muscle. And that's, what's giving out first. Um, I just always had to throw that caveat out there with oh, anytime we talk about building phases, because if you try and do like a build phase and you're in orange theory or something like that, then uh, you're, you're much more likely to gain body fat versus if you're doing a hypertrophy specific program. Yeah. That's one thing I've been trying to speak about a lot more in content lately, because we do talk a lot about building phases, but I do think some individuals get that construed where they think like 
the calories are the stimulus for building muscle. The most important thing is going to be the stimulus from your training. And that's something I see so, so many individuals are missing like the proper stimulus within the training where the proximity to failure might not be there, or just the exercise selection or the adequate rest times might not be there. And that's again, like, Hey, we can eat as much as we want, but we can't force feed muscle growth, right? Like the stimulus has to be there. And then the calories are just more permissive to muscle growth. So that's an excellent point. I'm glad you brought that up. Cool. All right. Next I have for you, do you feel all creatine monohydrate is created equal? Well, I try and stick with brands that I trust whenever I buy creatine, just like I do for anything else, um, supplement related, but there, so from what I understand, there is a, it's not a brand, but it's like a Crea pure stamp of approval or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. it comes from like a particular, um, place that they manufacture it. And that is like third-party tested and it's insured to be pure creatine monohydrate. I don't know what kind of other like shenanigans go on with other types of creatine. I think they cut it with cocaine sometimes to make it cheaper. Okay. (laughs) Uh, so I'll usually, I'll also get, uh, so the the one that I get that is Korea pure is going to be optimum nutrition. Sometimes I'll get that one. Sometimes I'll get bulk supplements, which is not Korea pure. It seems just fine. They, I mean, it's hard to tell a difference. So, um, I think as long as you're going with a reputable brand, you're going to be okay. I wouldn't just like browse Amazon for the very cheapest one that you can find, but that's, that's all the information I have on that. Yeah. Uh, as you, so from my understanding, uh, Korea pure certified creatine brands are, 99.99% pure creatine, whereas other creatine monohydrate brands are typically 99.9. So like you get that extra 0.09% pure creatine. That's like, if you go to the creator pure website, that's like how they market the difference. Does that really matter that much? I'm skeptical. Um, really, I think like cre- as long as you're getting a decent creatine monohydrate source, as, as you said, like I would try to go like with a relatively well-established brand, like optimum nutrition is a great cheap option. Um, even though like bulk supplements.com is a pretty well-established brand, but again, like creatine, I think is something that typically, at least there are like, there were like for a long time, like the scandals about like everybody spiking their whey protein and like, Uh, creatine is one that seems to at least so far not have been like ruined by that. So I really, again, as long as you're going with a reputable brand, um, I think it's fine. But as you said, there will be some that'll have like the the Korea pure logo on them. That's like, if you want to be certain, that's a great option, but honestly, it's not something that I personally worry about. Yeah. It's one of those things like for me personally, if I'm getting a certain type of supplement, like a multi or something specific, I'll get like corn <clears throat> or pure mm-hmm. that I know is like high quality. And then Same. like vitamin C, I'll just grab like Walmart shelf vitamin C. I figure there's not really too much you can mess up with that kind of thing. So to me, creatine somewhat falls under that same kind of thing where it's like, I'm not brand loyal, but I'll just make sure the brand is good and reputable. Yeah. I, I agree fully. Cool. What do you have next? 
Next one up is discuss the ingredients and effectiveness of pre-workout. What makes it effective? Okay. So with pre-workouts, um, one man, there's a lot we could get into here. Um, one, I mean, the primary effective ingredient is pre-workout necessary first and foremost. This is Natalie's question. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Within a pre-workout, first and foremost, what I'm going to be looking at is going to be the caffeine, right? And that's for most individuals, like really that's the thing that's going to make the primary difference. Um, It's just, hey, did we get a decent amount of caffeine within this, right? So honestly, like, do you need to take pre-workout? No. Um, Does it make that much difference versus like just drinking a cup of coffee? Uh, No, probably not necessarily. Now, past that point, I don't really break down pre-workouts that much to like, hey, what's our efficacious dose of these? Like there's going to be a beta alanine is one that in some, like there, it does seem to be some benefits to beta alanine, but I also think like the dose that we would need. And I think that's more endurance related, like uh, beta alanine will be like, what gives you kind of the itch, the itch and the tingles and things of that nature. Um, past that, then we could look at like pump ingredients. Um, do you have better insight into this? Because I feel like I'm kind of, <laughs> I don't really know where to take it from you actually on it. So the, the three main things with pre-workout are going to be the energy focus and then pump. So there are sim free pre-workouts that you can use. And that's just like, they don't have caffeine, but they've still got pump ingredients and focus ingredients. Um, what did I say? I didn't say focus. Did I, I said three things, but I might've repeated one of them anyway. Um, so caffeine, like you said, is the thing that most people will just feel the most from them because that's going to give you energy and unless there's beta alanine in it and you feel tingly like the caffeine is really the only thing that you're going to feel a significant right. with. um so then there's things like theanine where it's going to improve blood flow help performance give you a better pump citrulline malate is another one that's common so that's going to improve endurance um boost nitric oxide so it also improves um performance there beta alanine which you mentioned is is that one even for pump? I think it just kind of buffers fatigue. So with beta alanine, yeah, it's supposed to buffer fatigue, but I also, it's again, I think it's more in the context of, um, like endurance training. I don't think that when it comes to like a hypertrophy style training, beta alanine is actually effective for anything outside of like, you'll feel the tingles more. So it feels like it's working. Okay. And then there's, um, betaine is another really common one, um, that's supposed to improve endurance and strength. So those are the main things, but it's like you said, it's so like small of a difference. I think most of it is the ritual of like getting out your shaker cup, putting your pre-workout in there, shaking it up, drinking it as you get started and warmed up and just like beyond a cup of coffee, that's going to be the main difference in my opinion. Yeah. That's like, I can't give a good answer to that because I honestly don't even dig into like the, because it's pretty disappointing to like dig into the literature behind pre-workouts and like, Oh, basically it's just the caffeine that makes a difference. So like with clients, I don't like if clients taking a pre-workout, I'll look at like, 
first is this something that it doesn't contain like dmaa or like is this safe is this not an absurd amount of caffeine and then again like if you're tired yes caffeine is going to be beneficial but past that i'm not looking deeper into like or making recommendations around hey we should use this pre-workout or we should like do this to further augment your training past like the caffeine dosage i'm looking more towards hey are you getting adequate sodium going into your training what's your hydration like what's our nutrition like pre-workout and even intra-workout was because really i have taken a lot of different pre-workouts and the difference like the only like noticeable difference will be like do i get super itchy or not with the um with the amount of like beta alanine that's in this and how much caffeine is this and is in this? Do I feel cracked out of my mind? Does it feel like pretty reasonable? And L-theanine, I, I do think L-theanine is, L-theanine is definitely something that people will notice a difference from. Like if you feel too stemmed out, like taking caffeine with L-theanine or like if that's in your pre-workout as well, I think that's helpful. But again, past that, like personally from the like performance, performance enhancing supplement side of things, it's just not something that I get too deep into because it's all seemingly such minuscule products or such minuscule benefits that I like, it's nothing. I, do you talk to your clients about like pre-workout specifically? Only in the nutrition, only a meal. So right. you're going to see way bigger benefit from just having the right meal before you train and having a bit of salt and water versus a pre-workout. You're absolutely work out a whole lot more, but you're going to get a way bigger, bigger benefit from the actual food. Oh, absolutely. And I think when it comes to supplements, like this is the last thing that I would look into. Whereas like, if we're talking about like supplements for health and meeting your micronutrient needs and things of that nature, like we get so much more analytical and talk so much more about that because it just makes so much more of a difference. But I don't know if I can give a much better answer than that. Do you have anything else to add there? No. Um, Cool. All right. Last one I have is protein question mark, whey slash plant slash egg slash meat slash fish. Does it really matter? So basically it doesn't matter what your protein sources are. So if you're eating a, a good amount of protein, like if you're nearing that one gram per pound mark, you're, and you're splitting your meals fairly evenly, you're going to get enough amino acids, regardless of the type, unless it's like, I don't know, soy protein maybe, or well, I think soy protein is actually pretty good. Um, maybe like peanut protein. Like if you're getting all your protein in the meal from peanut flour, (laughs) (laughs) unless you're doing something seems feasible. Yeah. Then you are going to be getting enough amino acids to spike muscle protein synthesis, which is what we're looking for with it. So whether you have meat or fish or whey, those are all great. And they'll have slightly different amino acid profiles, but with any of them, you're going to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. And that's really the main thing. Now, if you're on the much lower side of protein, like maybe you're a hundred pound female and you're already on the lower side of protein and only eating like 80 grams per day. Well, then every single feeding of protein that you have, it becomes that much more important because you're amount per meal is already limited. So you need to maximize the amino acids that you're getting in that meal. Um, so then you'd probably want to stick with really any of those that are listed though, like whey is great fish meat, any of that is great. Um, you probably would just have to be a little bit more picky with 
getting those types versus like a plant-based source of like beans or lentils or something like that so that you get all those amino acids. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's basically just understanding the essential versus non-essential amino acids. And as you said, so basically we have complete proteins. So that's going to be things like, so most animal sources are complete proteins, meaning they contain. So basically we have these nine essential amino acids that we need to stimulate muscle protein synthesis and to build new muscle tissue, right? So muscle protein synthesis, basically think of it like your body adding, think of your muscle like a brick wall and your body is adding bricks to this wall, basically to build it bigger, right? But we need all of these amino acids coming in within our food in order to, these essential amino acids specifically, in order for muscle protein synthesis to happen basically. So within that, there's going to be uh, nine essential amino acids, but um, from there, your animal-based protein sources, basically think of these as complete protein sources. And there's going to be some um, plant-based sources that are going to be decent options as well, but things like chicken, pork, beef, fish, eggs, dairy are all going to be good sources of uh, your essential amino acids in their like, needed doses to build muscle tissue. Now on the flip side, then we have incomplete proteins, which are going to typically be deficient in at least one of the essential amino acids. And these are again, usually going to be um, plant-based sources. So think things like beans, grains, peas, hemp. But the thing is like, even then, as you said, if we're eating a mixed diet, right? So those like the beans are going to have a different, the, your beans versus your grains, for example, are going to have like different amounts of each of these essential amino acids. So even that like can complement itself. We're eating, like doing a good job eating a mixed diet. Um, as long as it's not like, Hey, my protein source for breakfast, lunch, dinner snack is beans, right? As long as we're eating it, doing a good job eating a mixed diet. And here again, like I'm fo- with a, with a plant-based client, I would focus on this a little bit more. We may need to supplement a little bit more, maybe supplement with an essential amino acid or like most, most vegan protein powders are um, going to be fortified with essential amino acids as well. Or like a pea and rice blend is a good option where then again, we get a pretty good amino acid profile. But yeah, um, largely, as long as we're hitting our protein needs and we're, we have a diversity of sources, especially if we're getting in a good amount of animal-based sources in the mix as well, it's really not something to be concerned about. Um, you'll be in a solid place. If it is like I am a plant-based individual, that's where I would just be more intentional about like, okay, within my plant-based sources, I'm going to eat like more diversity of, again, like different beans, grains, peas things of that nature versus like just really focusing hard on one source. But even then, like you'll do a pretty good job. And then again, like supplementing with something like a, um, a plant-based protein shake or like an amino acid supplement. That's like just amino acid that you take alongside your meals could be a decent option. Um, but even if you're like, Hey, I do like, um, plants and I do things like yogurt and eggs and things of that nature, it's things like that aren't necessary. So yeah. Anything else to add there? The, the main thing that we would be missing with the plant base would be leucine, right? So yeah, you, there's like a leucine threshold that you need to hit per meal, which is about two and a half grams per, per meal to spike amino acid or to spike, um, muscle protein synthesis fully. And so any of those sources listed are going to meet that recommendation. So you should be fine. As long as you're getting 20, 25 plus grams per meal, you're, I think you're good there. Absolutely. Cool. Um, did you have anything else as far as questions? Nope. I'm out.
All right. Well, that is all we have for you guys for this week. As always, thank you for tuning in and we will catch you guys next time.